This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Total Saints podcast. My name is Ben Stanfield, aka at Ben Stanners from Twitter, um, and I'm delighted to be joined, um, hopefully regular guest of the week, um, Adam Leach, who's uh, chief sports writer for the Daily Echo. Adam, it's great to have you with us. Thanks, Ben, and thanks so much for inviting me to be on the podcast. I'm looking forward to the season and, uh, and taking part. It's going to be good good fun, I think. Yeah, hopefully. Fantastic. Um, for those that don't know, so I thought as it was the first episode, it would be good for Adam and myself to do a very quick introduction. Um, as I say, my name's Ben. I'm uh, Southampton-born and bred, 30 years following Saints. Um, I've seen them lose in uh, Cardiff, Newcastle, Carlisle, Gillingham. So I've covered all those bases. And uh, my first game was 1985 at the Dow. I think like many of us, uh, I'm sure listening as well, for me it's not simply a game. It's a, a way of life following Saints. It's something that... Uh, you know, keeps us on the edge of our, our seats every week, and uh, you know, all of us have red and white blood cells for for a reason. So, I think doing this podcast is something that I've always been keen to do, and obviously, getting Adam's input as someone that's close to the club and uh, a Saints fan as well is great. So, uh, that's a little bit about me. Adam's going to introduce himself now. Yeah, well, um, I'm the chief sports writer at the Echo in Southampton, and I've been following Saints now for uh, this is my 16th season, 16th full season, and I thought. I would just quickly work this statistic out as it scared me that 16 uh, seasons, as well as we are this year, 14 managers I've worked with, eight chairman or chief executives, one administrator. Uh, I think we've had three changes of ownership and I stopped counting at around 500 players. So I don't that, that's, know. I don't that's, know that's some serious how many statistics, years. isn't it? Serious yeah, so it's been players, it's yeah. been a lot, but I mean, yeah, it's been a roller coaster. I've been I've been quite fortunate, I think from a journalistic point of view, to cover Southampton at probably the most uh, dramatic time, probably in the club's history, certainly if you isolate a sort of a decade period, or even the, if you take the 15 years I've been doing it, my first year was the uh, 03 FA Cup final um, under Gordon Strachan, and then to go through all the uh, all the lows of the administration and, you know, Hartlepool on a Tuesday night and all that kind of stuff, and then back up to the uh, the glamour of the Premier League, as it supposedly is, um, and to take in everything in between and work with so many different people, so many managers, so many people at the club, um, make so many friends along the way. It's been... Uh, it's been a great roller coaster to be on. Some journey, yeah, absolutely. I think all of us have uh, many ups and downs, so uh, fantastic. And um, the, the aim of the podcast um, that we've set up is really dedicated to go into the heart of all things Saints. I think hopefully between Adam and I, and certainly Adam, a bit of a, a, of a more up and uh, close and personal view um, to the club compared to some of the other excellent Saints podcasts that are out there. So we're, we're not here to compete with them. I think we're just here to give a, a bit of a differing view and hopefully come up with some uh, interesting conversation that uh, everyone can listen to. I think the aim is uh, really to discuss all the goings on at St Mary's on a weekly basis. Adam will be our regular guest, which is obviously great to have with his knowledge and experience. And we'll we're, we're be, uh, be looking to get other um, guests in that um, given their views and opinions every so often. Um, quick bit of social media. You can find us on facebook.com slash total 
Total Saints Pod, and you can also find us on Twitter at Total Saints Pod. So that's facebook.com slash Total Saints Pod and at Twitter Total Saints Pod. Um, just um, finally to, to finish on the introduction, I'd like to thank um, Robbie. Um, everyone will know him as Saints in France for doing our graphics for our uh, um, social media sites. So, Robbie, thanks very much for that. <laughs> Now we're going to go on to our first section, which is news, reviews and previews. Um, determined to start this podcast, Adam, with a positive conversation before we get around to the uh, the elephant in the room at the moment, who everyone will know straight away when I'm talking about that individual. Um, concentrating on pre-season, obviously Maurizio Pellegrino came in to um, replace Claude Puel. I think um, probably wasn't a surprise to all of us. I think, you know, hand on heart, I genuinely felt that Claude had, had tried his best for Saints and clearly was passionate about doing well. But I think we all agreed it wasn't uh, it wasn't working. He was quite an unlucky manager in terms of some of the misses and penalties and incidents and the offside and the uh, and the cup final and that sort of thing. In, in in your sort of view, I mean, obviously you've had a chance to meet Maurizio now. You know, I guess were you surprised Puel went and and you know how do you feel about Maurizio coming in and, and what he can potentially bring to Saints? Well, no, I wasn't surprised that Puel went at all. Uh, I think he got incredibly unlucky. I must admit, I feel, I do feel a, a certain amount of sympathy with the guy. I mean, I, obviously, the the one thing about the job I do is that my my most important relationship most of the time is with the manager. I see the manager, speak to the manager two, three times most weeks, um, and uh, you know, if not more, and they become. You, you get to know them relatively well. You know, it's not like you, you go down the pub together or you're good mates or you're asking, them, you know, how, how's the wife, the kids settled into school? You know, it's not like that. But you do, you get to know each other fairly well. I mean, there's only a very small band of us that really uh, cover Saints. And when I say a small band that regularly covers Saints, I basically mean uh, the Echo and Radio Solon, really. Mm. Um, you know, I go along to, you know, obviously all the pre-match stuff and you see on TV all the... the the hoardings behind the manager and it's broadcast around the world and it looks quite glamorous. And if you flip the camera around the other side, there might be two people sat there. I mean, saints are, they are not kind of big news. You do not regularly have lots of national press down. You don't have tons of TV sky sports news will come, but that might be it. So there's, there's really not many people there. So you kind of get a very close interaction with the manager very quickly. And it takes perhaps a couple of weeks for they get to know sort of, who you are, recognise your face, realise who you're working for, have a chance to sort of look at some of your stuff as well and, and kind of hopefully start to conclude that that you're all right. And so you, with Claude, I, I mean, I must admit, I haven't got to know him over the year. Um, he wasn't the uh, easiest to deal with from a media point of view, simply because um, a lot of what he said obviously was was relatively dull, um, with with all due respect to him. He was quite, quite boring trying to get interesting stuff from him was was taxing but if you look at it from a but he was a decent guy i liked him as a man he was a nice man he's very honorable um i felt particularly uh sorry for him after the final game of the season when uh with the uh stick that he got i mean i i must admit i thought that was uh a booing and things like that i i can you know you can accept people pay their money and they want to vent their frustration but some of the personal abuse that I was hearing towards him, I, I think kind of crossed the line for a guy who did his best and let's face it, got them to eighth in a cup final. It might not have been the most exciting, but he didn't exactly do a bad job. I don't think anybody could say it was a bad job that he did. And, and I did see him after that uh, game and, and I could see he was actually quite shaken and quite emotional. And I felt extremely sorry for him because he, he had only tried his best, but uh, nonetheless, I wasn't surprised it, you know, that once you lose the fans, um, in such a dramatic way, I think it becomes uh, inevitable that mm. you're going to have a change. Um, and Pellegrino, yeah, I've obviously I've met him. I did um, a big sit down with him, which has gone on the Echoes uh, site. Um, well, in two parts, one a couple of weeks ago with very saint specific stuff, and and then more recently this weekend with a sort of a, a feature about him, you know, Maurizio the man, as it were. Um, and his views on a lot of things, which I thought was, I, I found very interesting. I was, um, did that uh, with uh, Adam at Radio Solent was there and Sam Wallace from The Telegraph. And he was, uh, yeah, he was, he was an uh, extremely interesting character, I have to say. He's quite an intense character, definitely. Um, 
you know, you, you can tell straight away he's he's very bright, he's very switched on, he's very focused. Um, yeah, and I, I must admit, first impressions, and it is only first impressions, uh, are that I quite like him. But I mean, there's there's a obviously there's a long way to to run on that. Yeah, and certainly, I'm I'm always one for trying to as best as possible um, reserve judgment for a reasonable amount of time, even in what is a kind of quite a knee jerk business these days. So I think you know let's wait and see how it goes for him. And um, in terms of preseason, I mean obviously results have been a little mixed. I, I think you know you mentioned the booing there, which uh, incredibly I think lots of us heard was was already happening against Augsburg during the week and things like oh, that. Oh yeah, I, I yeah, think, there was know... there was plenty of it. And unfortunately, <laughs> I have to say one thing I I, I must admit I, I don't like I say I don't really ever criticise fans for booing because they pay the people pay the money. And they're they're entitled to, to to voice their opinions if they want, and that's that's fair enough. I must admit, I did think um, though when there was uh, ironic uh, cheers for Fraser Forster making a save, I did think, well, I mean that's uh, it's not setting off on a great foot when you're when you're sort of targeting one of your own players before the season's even begun. Yes, I, I admit, you know, he made a bit of a howler against Brentford, and obviously there were people who were questioning his form at the end of last season. But even so. He is going to be the number one goalkeeper this year. Make no mistake about that. So you know, it's kind of a. I think I'd like to think that people would kind of just get behind the team and give it a give it a good go. To, let's see how it starts and pans out. You know, there's no good going into a season with uh, harboring feelings of negativity. I don't think because it just becomes like such a self fulfilling prophecy if you do that. Absolutely, and, and I think um, you know it's partly modern fanism. I think you, you know all of us. I think uh, are under pressure, and we realise that football is um, you, you know there's a lot of pressure in football to, to to succeed. But I think also, to be fair, I think Saints have, have raised the bar of expectation. I know there's lots of uh, murmurings of discontent certainly last season within the fan base. But I think you, you know, do you feel almost Saints are a bit of a victim of their own success with the, the way they've progressed over the last six seven years, and therefore we automatically expect them to perform well individually as a team and, and get wins and results on the board? Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely. I mean, they they are victims of their own success on so many levels, not least um, obviously the the problems with retaining players. You know, you you get in players um, for relatively modest fees. And they do really, really well for you. So you achieve success. But that means that other clubs want your players, uh, you know, other better, bigger clubs, if you like, who've got more money. Um, and likewise, the expectations of the fans have risen. I mean, you know, I mean, how many fans do you, I mean, you're more probably, I would say, in touch with the fans in many ways than I am. You go and you sit in the stands at St Mary's. I mean, how many fans do you know that probably before last season would have said to you, you know what? I don't really mind how we play, but I'd like us to get to Wembley. And if that means we have to finish 13th and the football's a bit boring, then so be it. I want us to get to a cup final. Then I got to a cup final and finished eighth as well with boring football. And that's not good enough. I mean, is that fair? Is am I being unfair there? Not not at all. I think it's 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 a funny one. I, I remember Letizia, Matt Letizia saying on Twitter, you know, would fans take a cup final and finish in? 12th to 14th or would they rather finish higher and not get to the cup final I think that's that's the trouble football fan wants wants everything you, you know myself I think uh, I want Saints to play well I want them to win games I want them to score goals I want them to be entertaining you, you, you know I think it's just I, I think it's probably as I say it's modern fanism I don't think we'll ever be happy there'll always be something to moan about won't there and that that's either going to be a player or it's going to be a, another fan that's next to you that you're moaning about or, or, or whatever I think it's just for, for lots of us that are cooped up in the office during the week it's the chance to go and sit in the stand and let off some steam and you're going to do that at anyone that gets in your way really aren't you well yeah no no and I, I, I mean I just think that overall I, I, to be honest personally I think the Saints fans are a good bunch on the whole I must admit I mean when you go around the grounds and you see lots of lots of other sets of fans and things I think the Saints fans are a good bunch and I think on the whole they are actually pretty um, supportive and forgiving and they're not like the, the type that are baying for blood after you know one or two bad results but I do think that there has been definitely a raising of expectations and if I'm honest, I would say perhaps I be, I feel that the the levels that the expectations are being set are perhaps a little unrealistically high um, for where for where the club is in general at the moment. Now, don't get me wrong, the club does feed a bit of this because obviously it is reveling in its own success, as it were. There's a lot of talk of the club about the ambition and thing, and you 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 know, there's nothing wrong with that. But it, I think you have to. You have to be realistic in, in you know, modern day Premier League football. I mean, money is everything. 
money drives the game and whether you think that the the bubble we're in at the moment is sustainable or not um we are currently in it and so if you aren't prepared to have if you cannot get the cash to pay absolute you know top whack top dollar to have the best players and other clubs can well you're always going to struggle to break that that ceiling and yes all right one season leicester leicester did something amazing you know brilliant well done to them we all enjoyed that but let's not pretend that not not only is that not the norm, that we're not going to have a team come from nowhere to win the league, but even just getting in the top five, the top six, is almost impossible for the very vast majority of teams in the division. And so, therefore, you know, you are always... Saints now are fighting in a narrow band of positions, really, um, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of the as, as high up as they can get and it's very, going to be very hard for them to break that ceiling without a huge amount of investment so hopefully uh, you know if they can't do that this year i'm at least hoping that the football will be more sort of enjoyable and more palatable for supporters because at least even if they're not going to you know achieve some you know incredible exciting uh, season at least if you can have a bit of fun on the way then hopefully that will kind of keep things going so in terms of pre-season, Adam, obviously we mentioned there the results have been quite mixed. In terms of the playing staff, you know, we started the game yesterday with pretty much the team that finished the end of last season. From the, the three games you've seen, um, the Brentford game and then the two home games this week, who's the players that sort of stood out for you so far in pre-season? Well, I mean, to be completely honest, I don't think we've learned an awful lot, you know, more than we than we knew at the end of last season, really. I think we know where there are areas that need improvement we know who are good players and, and who are squad players um i'm sure Maurizio pellegrino's learned an awful lot but i mean for, for those of us that have obviously watched them a lot um there's there's probably been not not that much extra glean it's been interesting to see uh, how he set them up has been interesting um and, and the sort of experiments that he's clearly had with um particularly the the sort of the three in the four two three one i mean you know we could name the the back seven now and uh barring any last minute injury i would uh you know you'd put the mortgage on those seven starting against um against swansea so uh then it's i think the the big question mark has been in the three and it looks like I think he's settled on on Gabby Adini starting as the main striker, you know, at the moment with uh, probably I'm guessing Austin uh, on the bench. So it's the it's the three that's been interesting. Um, but like I said, I don't I don't really feel like we've learned that much. I mean, in terms of who's impressed, I've got to say again, hats off to Jack Stevens. I, I mean, I've been really impressed by him again in preseason. Um, obviously had a storming end to uh, last year with. Um, with the way he sort of took his chance with uh, Jose Fon going and uh, yeah, Van Dijk getting injured. And really, uh, you know, such an impressive young man in, in, in a lot of ways as well. Actually, I did get the chance to speak to him after the game against Sevilla very briefly. Um, he was there with his, uh, with his parents afterwards. And uh, yeah, and every time I've ever spoken to him, um, I found him, a, you know, he's a very decent young lad and you know good just a just a good good guy and um and it's really nice to see him doing so well and and i think if there's one thing and i wrote this the other day uh, after Augsburg actually um when i was was writing actually more about van dyke than the Augsburg game really that um you have to try and sometimes find the positives in in the negatives don't you and actually jack stevens to be honest i think jack stevens would right now be going out on loan to a championship team, being sold to a championship team, if, if it were not for the circumstances that arose last season. Uh, and now you've got this really bright, young, talented player who's, um, I, I would, I, to be honest, I would think he's probably the first choice centre-half now. Uh, you know, obviously him and Meyer are going to start um, against Swansea, but I, I, I would consider him probably the one that stays if they bring in uh, another experienced centre-half, depending on what happens with Van Dijk. He probably stays in the team, and that's fantastic. And it was interesting to see, you know, a young player gets a bit of a run, we see it all the time, and then they sort of fade away, or they have that summer when the, the momentum's gone, and, and then they come back and it's not the same. But in pre-season, it looks like it's exactly the same. In fact, if anything, he's getting better, um, which I think is is fantastic. Though I must just... I must say one thing about Jack Stevens, though. The, the chant of Jack Stevens, he's one of our own, 
every time I hear it, I, you know, when you just want, I'm going to be very pedantic. I want to stand up and put my hand up and just say, I think Plymouth um, might have something to say about You that. do realise he was signed for £150,000 at age 17 from Plymouth. Yeah. He's, he's technically is not one of their own, though I do appreciate the sentiment that he's obviously kind of had his, had his formative professional years there. But anyway. Yeah. To be fair, I, I, Adam, I mean, to be fair, we, we took Josh uh, Josh Sims from uh, Portsmouth Academy and they were singing Josh Sims, he's one of his own. So I think we're happy to claim anyone these <laughs> days, really, aren't we? So. Yeah. <laughs> well, why not? Why not? Let's just have yeah. them all. Um, if they, if but, they start singing Manolo Gabbiadini is one of our own, then I, I think you know, we might have <laughs> might have a few issues. But, uh. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I think uh, Jack's done... Um, Jack's done jack seems has done really well so i mean he's he's been a standout performer for me um i would say in pre-season and and I, again i just think i don't know that i've learned that much new about any of the others i haven't seen anybody um you know the, the players who are good have been good um but, but i haven't necessarily seen anybody in this pre-season that's you know that's captivated me and thought well you know clearly they are um, there's somebody who was not in the reckoning there who is clearly going to be in the reckoning uh, a lot more. I mean, Matt Target's been positive as well, um, I have to say, in terms of uh, obviously he was missed almost all of last season, um, really, with his um, hamstring injury and the surgery he had. But he's come back and he looks really good as well. And I expect him to be the backup to Bertrand. Although the only, the only downside of that, of course, is that Sam McQueen now is um, having done so well last year. Uh, it, again, taking an opportunity when it came his way at left back has sort of slipped to third choice left back. And as you know, Ben, because uh, those who don't know, we know each other from having played football together a long, long time ago for many years. Left back, my position is obviously the most important position in the field. But you, nobody needs three left backs. Even I will say that you don't need three. And um, therefore, it's been interesting to see in this preseason that McQueen has been being played as a left winger again, which was his uh, original position before he got converted to left back last year. And with all due respect to Sam McQueen, was the position that he kind of wasn't able to make the step up to. So whether he's going to end up getting lost now in the system a little bit, as it were, I, I don't know. But, I mean, it'll be interesting to see with him. But Matt Target's come back, and I think he's done well uh, as well, actually. Yeah, uh, I think that's the thing is, you know, I think lots of fans, myself included, I, I think whilst we are... An element of frustration towards Les and the board at the lack of investment, which hopefully you know will will change in the next couple of weeks with the um, potential signing for Juventus coming and and uh, other other people that Maurizio Pellegrino pretty much said they were waiting to hear on. Um, is that there is um, quality there? You know, most of the positions across the squad. You know, we have two. As you just mentioned there, in some positions we have three players, and I think when you look at last season, whether it was Claude or not. There was very few players really that's you know achieved a seven out of ten. You, you know you look at Romeo, you look at Yoshida, people like that. Absolutely, Jack Stevens quite right. But you know there was lots of fives out of te uh, ten and six out of tens. You know people like Steve Davis. Maybe it was because he was playing in too much of a defensive role. Where you know if we bring this guy in for Juventus, that might push him in, into a more natural attacking position. Like like yesterday when he set up the second goal. I, I guess the thing is we may not have invested, but if you look at that squad and that team, yes there is depth and they should really be pushing on. And, and aiming, you know, you look at a Bertrand or someone like that, should be wanting to be a, a 7 or 8 out of 10 minimum this season. And, and hopefully if they can all up their game by 1 or 2 you know, out of 10, that's, that's going to surely mean that we, we, we have a decent season and, and you know, we're comfortable and we're, we're pushing on towards that ambition that we supposedly got. Yeah, I mean, there's the, you know, when I look at the squad, I mean, you have to bear in mind that a lot of people obviously get Saints for lack of investment. What we're talking there, actually, what people mean by that is they haven't spent loads and loads of money in the transfer market. And actually, A, I think they are going to spend, um, actually. But I think as, I, I, I mean, from everything that I hear, my conversations there, I do appreciate the market is proving difficult this year. They would, Saints are not the only club to find the market a little bit difficult this year. Um, you know, they don't want to massively overspend on average players. That's not, not what they're in the market to do. But you can't accuse them of no investment because what they've done is they've taken a very deliberate decision to, and it might not be exciting, but they've tied these players down to long-term contracts, to their star names are, are on big, long contracts. And let me tell you, that doesn't come cheap. That does not come cheap. You're paying, they are paying these guys 
a fortune. That is modern football. They're paying them a fortune. And the pay rises across a squad of 20, uh, you know, we are running into tens of millions of extra investment. To, and they've sort of taken a very similar approach to, to like Tottenham have done this summer. And the Tottenham have said, you know what? We Yes, you know, Pochettino said as well, the same as Pellegrino said, we do want to make sure we add. We, we don't want to go with just what we've got by the end of the window. But we're not going to overspend. We're just going to try and get the right one or two that, that I want just to add something extra and freshen it up a bit. And the rest of our, uh, our policy, if, it is, if you want to call it that, is going to be to keep together what we've got. Um, and for Saints' point of view, that has been trying to fight off the vultures again. You know, they cut the, they get criticised very heavily for selling the best players. Um, and, well, we don't pay them the money, so therefore they want to go here, they want to go there, whatever. Then they go, right, we'll offer them long contracts and we'll pay them the money. And then most of them look like they're going to stay. And and the, the flip side of that is, oh, we haven't got any ambition because we haven't signed any players. Well... Yeah, I, I, mean, I get it, but it's it. You know, it's what. What do you want? I, I do feel. I do have. I understand the frustration because it signing players along. As a football fan, you want excitement, don't you? That's what you're in it for. Yeah. You want excitement. You want to be excited about transfers. You want to be excited about new players, and and the exciting possibilities they bring to improve your your team and and your results. But the the board at Saints are, are, have to run this club as a business, and they're trying to make sure that it's a sustainable business. They are not taking huge uh, handouts from uh, a rich benefactor. That is not happening there. They're running this club as a business, and it has to sustain itself and grow as a business. There's huge investment behind the scenes as well, uh, the football club. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not here to defend the football club. This isn't my role. I'm just trying to explain uh, a little bit of, of kind of what, what I think that they are attempting to do and, and you know, to, to just put forward as, you know, their sort of what I think they would regard as sort of what, what they are actually doing, which is not sat on their hands doing nothing, which I think is a perception that some people have. Mm. I, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think, you, you know, <clears throat> even whilst mentioning the comment on Les, Les Reed and the board and that sort of thing, I think the thing that grates me is, uh, you know, I would hope an intelligent fan. I think there's there's many within the fan base that very much understand the way the club is trying to be run. None of us want to be back where we were in 2009. There's there's absolutely no doubt about that. So, I, I you know, sustainability is absolutely the key thing. I, I guess the thing that annoys well, me. Well, hang, hang on. I mean, forget administration just for one moment. Mm. Forget administration. You know, it, it's quite clear that, that you know I've got those. The you know I've done the interviews. The the stuff's out there. It's not just when they were in administration there's a problem. They they were facing some financial problems not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, there was, as Gareth said in the report, you can look at it. In their opinion, in the opinion of the board, they had built up some unsustainable debt. Um, and so they have had to try and manage that debt. They don't want the club to you know to fall on any hard times because of the, it being saddled with too much debt. And so they've taken a, a route to try and get to uh, Ralph said a while ago, the route they've taken is to try and bring down the debt levels, while at the you know while at the same time trying to improve the squad. And so what they took the view of was, well, if we can sell one player for thirty, maybe we can pay off a little bit of debt and we can get two in for that thirty million. And that's where they've come. That's how they've accumulated this squad. Whether everybody's entitled to their own opinions to whether they think any of these players or the squad in general are any good or not. But nonetheless, you can't argue that they they have moved to a position where they have got two players for every role. And if they think, whether we disagree or not, um, if they if they think that actually the squad that they've got is uh, is strong, it has the depth. Those two players for every position are good enough. If they believe that, then you can understand why they might turn around and say, well, our, our priority is keeping this together, and then just adding the one or two rather than some sort of wholesale change. They've made the change in the manager. <clears throat> That's what they think will bring the change, not in the squad. Yep. And I think, um, you know, when you mention um, that that sort of <clears throat> scenario around ambition and things like that, I think that's the, the thing is many fans, you know, think ambition is just spending money. But I think the fact is, as we say, we want it to be sustainable. I think, you know, lots of us appreciate that the club is being run as it needs to be run. And I think hopefully 
we, we you know we will still spend money where we need to to strengthen because I think there's no doubt about that and and it's probably doing it in the right way so that again we're we're looking you know longer term rather than shorter term really so um in in terms of areas that you think we need strength I think many of us to me you know it shouts out that we still need a a, a sort of defensive centre midfielder obviously it's easy to say that when this this uh, Lamina is being linked from Juventus. I, I guess, you know, we're going to talk about Van Dijk in a minute. I guess, you know, replacing him if he does go, which I think we're probably fairly confident will happen, you know, centre-back. Outside of that defensive centre-mid and uh, centre-back position, is, is there anywhere else that you, you think they need strengthening at the moment? Or, you know, pretty much based on what we said, comfortable that there's enough, uh, you know, players there to compete and, and um, drive each other on? Well, if you're talking absolute ideal world scenario now, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I'm assuming they're going to get one or two. So I'm assuming that they are the the fairly the obvious positions in these strengthening. But in an ideal world, you'd probably get a bit more pace. You maybe get somebody if you're going to play that three, um, somebody who can who can play as a real pacey winger. Um, you know, I think I think that would be good. I I have a certain amount of concern um, about the goalkeeping position. Fraser Forster's the number one, um, and then you've kind of got Stuart Taylor, who is obviously the backup to the backup, if you like. He's not really, they're not really expecting him to play. Um, but then Alex McCarthy missed much of last year injured. He's got an injury again this year. You've got Gazaniga back. He's obviously been linked with a move away. Uh, who knows what happens there? So it might be that they maybe need to revisit that. But but as a, but that will be more an alternative, you know, a backup type option. Um, you know, just making sure that the adequate depth is there. They have got enough. It's just, uh, it depends on exactly the status of, of McCarthy's injury and, and obviously what they're going to do with Gazaniga. Um, then, uh, yeah, I mean, for, uh, the, the defensive midfielder one is difficult because they have got in that position Romeo shooing, shooing for the for to start, been terrific. They've got Stephen Davis, they've got Classy, and they've got Hoiberg. So they've got four frontline professional footballers for that role. Um, and then they've also got uh, Ward Prowse, who can play there, potentially. Now, the way I see it is that, they, that if they're going to get somebody in that role, it might have to be a one-in, one-out, because I don't really see you know, that they need another, another a fifth option slash sixth option uh, in that role, I would agree that in terms of if you were just buying somebody as a real quality player to come straight into the team, that perhaps you would like somebody. But obviously they bought Hoiberg to develop. He's a young player still. They don't want him to have no game time. That's why they've had to loan out Harry Reid, who plays in that position, because he realistically isn't going to play because there's four players ahead of him in that role. So would you chuck in a fifth? And then what does that mean for the progression of Hoiberg or how many games is Classy going to get. So you might have to look at that in terms of whether you do a, a one in, one out in that position. And, and you alluded to it earlier, uh, you know, Stephen Davis playing in there as well. Uh, I, I am a massive fan of Stephen Davis. I have to say, I think he's, a, he's been terrific for Saints, absolutely terrific. Yeah. But for me, his best, uh, and when the team have been at their best, is having him in the number 10 role in a 4-2-3-1 under Ronald uh, that, that he was fantastic really really fantastic in that position and he might not be a glamorous number 10 I grant you he's not like a you know a pin up number 10 if you like but yeah he's so effective in there he's so good in that position I mean I would love to see him play that role the problem is Saints have spent a lot of money in getting in guys who can play that number 10 role so it's like do you do you kind of leave all them on the bench or out of the squad to play Stephen Davis there In terms of Van Dyke, then Adam, it would be you know wrong not to talk about him. Obviously, it's been one of the most boring transfer sagas I think the Premier League has ever seen. It's, it's dragged on for months and months. I think uh, all of us are pretty um, sick to the back teeth. I think Liverpool fans, I think uh, other fans as well. Um, I, I guess from my view, you know, I wanted to probably have a bit of a rant and then get your your view on it, and just in terms of things, because oh, I think you, you know, rant away. <laughs> let's, hear, let's hear it. Come on. It's, you know, I mean, it's obviously not the first time uh, I think. Uh, within Saints that we found ourselves within this uh, position. I mean, I, I guess I looked at, um, 
you know everything that's happened and sort of a, a, a summary but you know first things first I don't want to sound bitter you know he's clearly one of the best footballers I've seen in the Southampton shirt during my uh, 30 years following them so I think it would be naive of me to say he's rubbish and the sooner he goes the better etc I think probably that's why we're all more annoyed because I think we appreciate that he's totally the opposite of that and someone that you know if we really do have ambition to go which I think ironically is the thing that he's been questioning you know the point is you want to keep your best players to be ambitious but I guess you know, you, you you look at it. I mean, he signed a six-year contract in May 2016. You know, my view is I don't really care if he's changed agent. I don't really care if the manager's changed twice during that time. You know, he signed that contract with the football club. That is who he is employed by. He took the captain's armband in January last year. Um, sorry, January this year. Um, you know, and would have known and agreed to the responsibilities that came with that. So, you know, he he, he tweeted, I think, to say that he was proud and uh, and such like. So it's it's funny how things change because I guess when you look at it now, you know, he's been injured since January, so the club have been paying him personally all that time but they've obviously been paying for his rehabilitation that time as well and I think uh, you know someone had told me he'd been flown out to Canada as well at some point because his injury was worse than, than initially thought so you know Saints would have paid for him to go out there um, and, and I guess you know he didn't attend the, the, the end of season awards I think you know again that was put down to the injury but you know, my view would be, even if I was on crutches, unless I was absolutely out of the country or something like that, as team captain, you would be there whether you were happy or not. Um, and I guess throughout all of that, you know, everything that's happened, Saints committing to him long term and, and such like, you know, we've had all of these rumours about him being away meeting other, um, you know, clubs and, and Rob Janssen, who we, we obviously all have, a I think, a pretty grim view on after the Coman situation, you, you know, send him off to, to Blackpool to meet with Klopp and such like. You know, we, we now find that he's effectively on strike. Um, I know he's not officially handed a transfer request in, but I think, you know, all of us are intelligent enough to realise that's probably not a million miles away. Um, and I guess, you know, he's continuing to be poorly advised by what I would deem a, a greedy agent. So in terms of Saints' position on it, Adam, I mean... You know, I say, do they find themselves between a rock and a hard place? I'm not not sure they do because all the the power seems to be with footballers these days. I mean, where, where do you think this situation goes from here in terms of what do you think Saints will will do that's that that is best for them? And and I guess you know my second point to that would be in terms of player power. I mean, I assume this is this isn't going to be the last time we see this with Saints because it just seems to be the way of modern football. Yeah, well, I think a couple of things I just, uh, if, if I may, just pick you up on a couple of things in the rant. Firstly, a few of these things uh, that supposedly have or haven't taken place are unsubstantiated. We don't know that all of the things that, that are supposed to have taken place did take place. Um, and also, I always think it's a little bit of an easy cop out just to always blame the agents because the agents might potentially advise on tactics and things like that. But ultimately, um, you know, it's still we're we're all still individuals, aren't we? We're all still humans. We make our own choices in life, and we can turn around and decide what we think is right and what we think is the wrong way to behave. Um, we do that. We all do that every day, all the time. And you know, if it's like, well, because the, well, if my agent said if I did this, I'd earn another three million pounds a year. Well, you know, that that says more. That that says to me says less about the agent and more about the player. It, it, that's in a very general sense. But if we're talking very specifically on uh, on Van Dyke and and more looking at it from the uh, club's point of view and how this plays out. I mean, it's um, it's, it's really difficult. I mean, I've I've not known the club uh, with with any of the players that have gone in the past be so insistent as they have been with Van Dyke that he's not going. I mean, other than Schneidlin, actually, when when which obviously they stuck to their guns with Schneidlin. Other than that one, a, a lot of the time the the what I'll call the background noise, because obviously there's the stories that all come out, but there's there's daily there's what I would call background noise all the time around these these sort of uh, sagas. But they've they've never uh, never been, uh, I don't think, quite so adamant that that he's not for sale. Whether they end up getting pushed into a corner or not um, on this one is another matter. But they're almost they're almost I, I see now. Unfortunately, they're a bit damned if they do and damned if they don't because. Um, if you put your foot down and you keep him, then you've got two problems. One is, do you, do you not play him if he's still adamant that he wants to leave, but you've told him he can't? And can you can you guarantee that he is going to be when you put him out there, a hundred percent committed in the dressing room? That his teammates going to look up to him and think he's a hundred percent committed or not? 
and what problems could that cause? And if you don't do that, uh, uh, sorry, and, and alongside that, if you do put him back in the team, how hard is that reintegration, particularly with the supporters? Uh, the, the, the players, I'm not saying that none of them will feel let down, but they, they understand it a lot more because it's the life that they're in. It's the business they're in. And, it, and they know it could be one of them next, potentially. You know, not perhaps not quite as extreme as what we've seen, but, you know, nonetheless, they might want to move on somewhere. They might have to, to confront this. So they're more forgiving, probably, most of them, anyway, um, in the modern era, I would say. But then reintegrating with the fans, is it too far gone now? I think one thing that's important to note in amongst all this, just to add a, a t- tiny bit of balance, I'm not, I'm not sticking up here for Virgil, but as far as I'm aware, and I, I could be wrong, I could be wrong on this, he hasn't said that he won't play for Saints. I, I, I don't believe he said that. He has said that he wants to leave. And the, therefore, the decision has been taken by Saints that because he wants to leave, um, you know, they can't basically have him in and around the first team, which obviously means not not playing at the moment. Um, so from his point of view, uh, it, I, I, I just don't know. I, I suppose in a general sense, I just don't know exactly how this resolves be, because the other, the other thing Saints could be forced into is if you decide that when you go through the logic of the situation of, the option of reintegrating him if he if he is still adamant that he doesn't want to play then um you you've got i, I think saints are probably i, I don't get me wrong, they'd be applauded by the football world if they took a stand and they just left him you know training on his own for six months but realistically they're running a business here and it's that good business sense to have him doing that whether you're making a stand or not um to he, he obviously hasn't backed down he had the the, the chance really was there for him to do so after they left him away for France and he had sort of a week to have a think about it. He's come back. The situation's the same. Very hard now to see him uh, him sort of changing his mind on that. So if you're Saints, do you do you go, well, if anybody will play 65, then, then let's do it? Because the thing they don't want is to be left uh, caught short of a centre-half with two days before the window, if, if he causes a, you know, if he continues to make his position or untenable, or even more untenable somehow. Um, I, I think, I think, I, I wouldn't say I welcome a transfer request, but I think the clarity of a transfer request in a way would actually help this situation because as a, as people may or may not know, when you put in a transfer request, you forego your rights to the payments that you're entitled to when you get sold normally. Players get, and their agents get payments when they get sold as a percentage of fees, loyalty payments, and things like that. Um, when you put in a transfer request, you you say that you will forego that because you wish to leave and pursue your career elsewhere. If he put in a transfer request, at least it would go some way as to say, well, look, I'm not just hanging, just making this awkward because I want to go away and get as much money as I can. Well, maybe he might get more money, but he's going to be giving up quite a considerable <laughs> amount of money if he does that, and at least it. It proves his commitment to going to a certain extent, which, though that doesn't make the situation much rosier for Saints, at least if there's some clarity, then at least they, they kind of, right, that, that's his, from his point of view, the situation has then reached its logical conclusion with Southampton Football Club. Once you've got to that point, there is no coming back, I don't think, from that. And so, from Saints' point of view, it's a very, at that point, there's, there's no more will he, won't he, or anything like that. It's no, he, he's not coming back in now, so we have a choice to make. We either make a stand and just have him sat there doing nothing, or we try and get the best value that we can. And I, I hope that if it comes to that, they just say, this is our price, and that's it. And I hope that, that it doesn't play out that then Liverpool or whoever else try to use the fact that his position clearly is untenable to, to knock the price down, and that if they do try and do that, Saints are prepared to call the bluff and just say, fine, we'll keep him then. Yeah, and I, and I think um, no, I mean I think that totally uh, all makes perfect sense. I appreciate you putting the disclaimer in there about Blackpool because you're quite right. Um, but I, I think um, you know in terms of uh, Saints' is, is, is view on it, and I think Les Reed and things like that. I think as a fan, one of the frustrations has probably been that that we always give in too easily. And I think probably this summer, I think certainly my personal view, I, I'm not not talking for every Saints fan here, is that I think he's done a tremendous job so far of batting um, you, you know the pressure away. I mean you got. Every every ex Liverpool player you can ever think of, given their view on why Van Dyke should sign for them, you had Dick Advocate saying in the press that 
whilst you could happily condemn uh, you know Van Dijk if he's got a chance to earn five times his salary, which clearly isn't the right figures, you know. So he's he's totally uh, um, missed the plot on that one. You, you know, then yeah, what if he's earning five times what well, he is exactly, at Saints, exactly. blimey, early. <laughs> so yeah, well you can understand him wanting to me, but I think that's the fact. Yeah. You know, there's there's so many people that you know again the whole tapping up thing. Oh, you know, every club does it. Don't you know Southampton are, are kicking up a thing. I, I I think that's the frustration for me as a fan. Maybe why I I, I feel that the 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 frustration towards Van Dijk and particularly uh, you, you know Vassaman is that Saints are always made to, to to look like the bad guys in these situations. You know we've had them so many times before. It's it's frustrating as a fan because you would expect them and want them to look after um, the, the, their future by trying to keep these players. Yet for some reason the press all we ever hear about is Southampton as the bad guys for stopping these people moving. And I I, I guess my concern is and, and I guess the question to be with to, to yourself would be. You know, do you see these situations coming up every summer? You know, because it only ever seems to be us. And you know, every summer there's someone. So, uh, you know, we're going to get this one out of the way, and then surely 12 months down the line, we're going to have the situation with a, a Buffal or, or someone else that you know decides they want to do it. I mean, did, it, is it really only us, Adam, or is it just that we, 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 you know, we seem to get the best out of these players? And and I think you know, it probably goes back to what you mentioned earlier about there only being two members of. Uh, you know, the media there, is it really the fact that we're just seen as a stepping stone, really? And we always will be? Uh, well, I don't, I wouldn't say always will be because, uh, you know, no future is, is utterly defined, I don't think. Um, but at, at the moment, uh, Southampton, the thing is, we, we see them all the time and, and, and uh, you know, Southampton supporters who pay their money and, and go and watch games and things are obviously very heavily invested and feel very passionate about the football club, and rightly so, and they take pride in it, it's their football club. They're not the only ones to suffer from this problem. At the end of the day, football is uh, a pyramid, and Saints have, have, you know, have recruited players. When Saints were in League One, and they got Jose Font from Crystal Palace, who were in the championship at the time, and it was because Saints were ambitious and, and probably were paying quite a lot more money, and... Uh, you know, at Crystal Palace is still a reasonable club. Nobody batted an idea. Of course he'd want to come to Saints. Bristol Rovers from Ricky Lambert. Well, of course he'd want to leave Bristol Rovers to come to Saints, even though they're in the same league. Of course he would. It's a step up. So, uh, you know, people move all the time. Neymar, he's just left Barcelona, for goodness sake. Uh, you know, what, what better club could you want to be out than Barcelona? It, it happens. You know, Ronaldo moving to Real Madrid all those years ago. But these, these things happen. They happen at all clubs. Um, perhaps they happen a bit more frequently at some clubs than others. And yes, you could say that, you know, perhaps if you took what Ralph said and I, that I mentioned earlier to its extreme, maybe Saints have been prepared to get involved in that game to a certain extent up until now because of a tactic of, of strengthening their squad with the money they, they were bringing in. And it perhaps, even though they didn't want to sell, they found a way to do it that kind of also they felt progressed, progressed the squad as a whole. Um, will it keep on happening? Well, we said victims of their own success. Y yes, it probably will keep on happening if you keep on signing players and doing really, really well. But then what's the alternative? You sign players and you do badly, so nobody wants to buy them. Well, you know, I, yeah. I would probably rather that the players were sought after because they'd done well than, they, than nobody wanted them because they weren't any good. So um, the football pyramid is what it is. And I don't, I don't, you know, in the same way that Exeter are a much smaller club than Southampton. Well, you know, Liverpool, they they are the, another step up the ladder from where Saints are at this moment in time. Not to say that it can never change. No, I don't think it's set for forever and a day, but it, but it is true right now. Um, yeah. And the money that you earn there is better. And so players, they, they naturally want to go there. I don't, I don't think it has to be forever, but I think that's the reality now. And I, I just think... From Saints' point of view, they've come to this situation now where financially they've got they've manoeuvred themselves now for a few years of being very cautious and doing a good job uh, with the books and with what they've done that they don't actually need to sell any. There's no there's no real motivation to have to sell him. They don't need to get the money to go and buy two more players. They'd rather just keep the player. Mm. But if the player makes his position so untenable, what do you do? I I, I don't. Nobody in football has figured this out yet, have they? Because this does happen at other clubs. It does happen uh, on a on a a more regular basis than than you would probably expect to happen. And a lot of the time, this doesn't quite play out in public. I mean, I, I know of other situations where this has happened, where this hasn't become quite as public because the other because the club 
with with the player has just given in really quickly. It's actually the Saints have held, tried to hold firm, hold firm that this has kind of turned into a saga. Um, but I, I, to be honest with you, this summer I've looked once or twice at Saints and I have thought, if I'm totally honest, you should play the game a little bit more. You know, you should just accept. I know you don't want to. I know you ethically, morally want to be above some of the the, the tactics that go on in the transfer market, and I, I understand why. But don't be naive. You still need to get these players and stuff like that. You still need to do what needs to be done. Um, but this summer, I can't see. I can't really see that they they could have. What else could they have done other than just giving in and just selling him, which would have been infinitely worse? What what else could they have other than keep saying he's not for sale and keep telling him, you know, we expect you to honour your your contract? What? I don't. I don't, honestly don't know what else at this point they could have done. No. Uh, at this, as we speak right now. I I agree. I agree. So, uh, um, last sort of question on on Van Dyke then. So I, I I on my Twitter feed the other day I, I suddenly uh, saw a, a a tweet pop up that said um, Radio Merseyside is uh, and, and and the words Radio Merseyside and Adam Leach and I thought oh god they've tapped him up as well. But uh, um, the the interview you did on Radio Merseyside five times my salary. <laughs> Dick Advocate. Of things, so that's good. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I mean, obviously, I, I listened to it. Um, you know, I know you said on there when, when questioned that you were fairly confident in inverted commas that he would still be here by the start of the season, or, or probably more more confident that he hadn't left by the start of the season, but were less confident he'd be uh, here by the end of the uh, the transfer window. I know my answer on this is pretty obvious. Not to tempt fate, Adam, but just to put you on the spot, w- will he be here come the close of the transfer window? Uh, goodness me, that that not to put me on the spot, but that is really putting me on the spot. Um, my uh my gut feeling is that he probably won't be here at the by the you know by the time the the first of September rolls around. That's probably my gut feeling, just because I I think I think now the combination of I just look at it. I try and look detach all. Um, sentiment from it when I look at it and just try and look at it logically and look at the pattern of things that I think have to occur for him to come back into the fold now Um, and and that pattern of things basically is for him to change his mind uh, on wanting to leave, him to accept that he's going to stay at Saints uh, him to probably have to make a fairly grovelling public apology to, to kind of get the fans back on side as well um, and I, I just think that those things, and then the club accepting all of that, which I think that they would if it went, if he did all of that. But I think the the likelihood of all of those things happening, percentage wise, is quite low. Um, and so therefore, I think we end up in that position whereby Saints are going to have to. Oh, sorry, I should add one other thing. Also, um, when when it comes to selling. The, the the other logical thing that has to happen is that somebody has to be prepared to pay what Saints want, mm-hmm. which you have to factor in as well. But assuming that Van Dyke doesn't do do his end of the bargain, then Saints end up in in their position, which is to say, right, we've got a player here who we can't really don't really feel like we can play in the uh, you know uh, up until January. We just unless he suddenly changes his mind in November or something, which gone that far is pretty unlikely. So what are we going to do? Are we going to take a risk that maybe when the transfer window closes that he suddenly thinks, oh, heck, I'm just going to have to get on with it. Um, and if not, we're just going to have to have him sat on the stands paying him his, his money uh, for doing nothing and 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 what and, and go with three centre-halves or just try and get in another centre-half or something. Not, not a good plan. Or we're going to have to sell him and then it comes down to is somebody prepared to pay the money? So there are still lots of ifs and there are still lots of hurdles I think to be crossed. So I'm not confident in giving an answer. To be honest with you, I'm not confident in in knowing that that what is going to pan out. But all what I'd say, and I've said regularly to people who've asked me, is that I also at this stage I don't think Virgil knows how this will play out. I don't think Saints know how this is going to end. And I also don't think Liverpool or any of the other clubs who may or may not be after him really knows how this is going to end. So to second guess it is difficult. I'm just trying to look logically at the series of steps that has to occur for any one situation to happen. And if I look at that, I would say at this point in time, you know, if you were looking at it from an odds point of view, it is probably more likely that this, this, the situation will occur, that the Saints will end up feeling that they've got to try and sell if somebody will pay the money. What do you think? 
I think my view is is twofold. Um, I tweeted about it uh, over the weekend actually. I, I think for me, Adam, I don't I, th I don't think he'll be here the thirty first of January. Um, sorry, the thirty first of August. I beg your pardon. Um, the 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 two points I would say is I, I think Les has got to stick to his guns. I think he's either made to stay whether he likes it or not, and whether you you, you know however long it takes him to integrate back into the team. I mean, he's not played for six seven months anyway. He's not going to be able to walk yeah. back into any team. So I think you know first things first. I hope we keep him. The second thing is, if he's going to go, I have no problem with him going because I think it, it, it will be getting rid of a bad egg who's clearly unhappy. The, the, the option is that I just hope he doesn't go to Liverpool. Anyone but Liverpool, and I'd be perfectly satisfied if we got a decent fee just to get him out and, and um, you, you know invest the money as we need to. So that would be my two options. And I think in, in terms of your answer, I think absolutely diplomatic. I, I, I think you know it is almost day by day, and I think... Um, Probably that's the frustration for a lot of us. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what we're going to, um, you know, pick up the papers in the morning and see that's happened. But I, I think the frustration is there's so many rumours around, so much speculation that it just wears you down. So my view is the sooner it's over, the better, really. Yeah, I, I, but I, as I said, I just think that the the reason that there are the rumours and speculation is just it's the inevitable consequence that nobody knows how this ends, and that includes the parties involved. I think there's sometimes with these things there's. Uh, there's a thought or there's an expectation that kind of, well, behind the scenes, you know, they, they know what's going to happen. Or behind the scenes, Saints will have this all sorted out. Or behind the scenes, Liverpool, you know, they're a multi-million pound professional football club. They know what's going on. It's just that the media and us fans, we're just being kept in the dark. You know what? They don't know. That's the truth. Yeah, they yeah. don't. They yeah. don't know. Nobody knows exactly how this is going to play out. They're all just playing their cards one at a time and will end up at a destination at some point. Uh, I mean, I guess, I, I guess the only thing I would say from a Saints point of view is that uh, I, I hope that this doesn't roll. If he's going, if he's going to go, I agree. I, I it would be better if he went early because they they need to work seriously on on you know the premise of him not being here. I can only assume that Pellegrino at the moment is beginning to work on the assumption that he's not going to have him available because you know I, in amongst all this, and that's the one thing I, I actually. I knew you would bring up Van Dyke, and I did mean to say, and I, um, so I'll mention it now. In amongst all this, I feel so sorry for Pellegrino, by the way. Yep. He's just come in. He's trying to do the best job he can. He's probably excited. He wants to really hit the ground running. He wants to impress everybody. And to walk into this, I mean, you know, he do, he's best, the best player. He doesn't know whether, you know, he's trying to manage the situation and try and persuade him to stay. He doesn't know going into the season, whether he's going to have him or not, whether he's going to have somebody else, whether he's going to suddenly have 60 million quid to spend or not. Um, it's very, it's, very yeah, difficult. It's the, very Sa difficult. It's the Southampton way, uh, Adam. So I'm sure he was <laughs> I'm sure he was expecting it to come up as, as, soon, as, uh, as soon as he took the job. But uh, no, I think, look, um, you know, I think we obviously have to see what happens. And uh, I think by the time we run the next podcast, I'm sure there will have been uh, more water under the bridge. So I think it's just... Oh, I have of, no doubt yeah, about think, that. What's the space on this? <laughs> So back to the um, nitty-gritty of what really matters, the football. Obviously, Swansea is the first home game in the Premier League this season, um, starting on Saturday. I'm looking forward to the game. I'm coming down for it. Um, Swansea, a bit of an unknown item. Obviously, they, they've not made massive transfer incomings this year. I think they've bought in three players, one of whom is obviously um, Tammy Abraham from uh, Swansea. They've got a bit of the same scenario um, that we've got with Van Dijk in that Sigurdsson's a bit... Um, unsure at the moment what's going to happen with him and Everton and I guess we don't know whether he's going to play or not um, Fernando Lorente is out which is obviously a, a big boost because he's the sort of player that will cause us trouble and in, in terms of the Swansea game Adam and I, I think when the fixtures came out it's one that I looked at and thought great you know a chance to win a home game from the start does that kind of work both ways because I guess as a fan you're, you're, you're turning up to the game thinking right we can beat these but likewise the pressure's on straight away on the manager that fans will be thinking that and he'll know it's a winnable game so a fixture like that? I mean, do you, do you see it as a pro or a con? Uh, well, personally, I think it's a pro. Um, I think you you want to play the first game, You especially if you've got a new manager. A bit different if you had an established manager there who's you know successful and doing really well. But new manager, you want to try and win. I know um, Laurie Mavenemy said in his column in our paper this week, oh, as a manager, he always wanted them to be away on the first day. Because if you lose, it's kind of, it doesn't really matter that much. And and it's kind of somewhat expected, and, and the pressure's off. Whereas if you play at home and everybody expects you to win, and, and inevitably on that first day, whoever you play, are bang up for it. 
then uh, and you don't end up winning, then suddenly there's pressure on your next fixture. And of course, for Saints, <laughs> given the, what, what's happened, the, the next fixture is also at home. Mm. Um, it is imperative that they get a good start. In fact, when you just look at the fixture list in general, it's imperative that they start well if they harbour any ambitions of, you know, sort of challenging up in the Europa League spots this year. But I, overall, I, I think it's a pro. You don't want to play um, a really, really difficult game, I don't think, on the first day. And, you know, it's it's August in the south coast. Hopefully it will, the, the sun will shine, though uh, who knows? It might be like the Augsburg game. If anybody went to that one, they'll know what I mean there. It was pouring down. But, um, yeah, it'll be a nice, it should be a nice, happy atmosphere, a nice welcome to uh, Maurizio and, and uh, co. And... I, I personally, I think it's a pro. I'm, I, I think that's a good fixture to have. I do appreciate they're under more pressure, but ultimately, I, I'm I'm not convinced that Swansea potentially minus Sigerson and Lorente are, you know, are really really top quality opposition for Saints. So I, I think it's a pretty a pretty good chance to try and get off to a winning start. Really. Yeah, I t- totally agree. No, absolutely. So. Put, put you on the spot again then Adam two predictions which I'm sure we'll look back at the end of the season and laugh jovially at uh, how wrong they were but uh, a, a prediction for, for the Swansea game and then a prediction realistically you, you know what do you expect of Saints this season where do you think they can finish and, and uh, in terms of everything that's going on and I appreciate the transfer window is still open so we may allow you to revise your prediction in a couple of weeks but looking as of now wh- wh- where do you see them finishing? Well first of all on Swansea I'll do Swansea first because I hate predicting individual games because I am notoriously bad at this. Um, but I, I will go for a Southampton victory, I think, opening day. I think, why not? Let's, let's, I think they might win 2-0 uh, maybe. So let's, let's go well, that's, for that. That's the kiss I could hate, be yeah. like, um, is it, was it Mark Lawrenson who last season in his uh, BBC predictions predicted Liverpool to go undefeated if yeah. you looked over the yeah. entire season, I think. Yeah, it, it, was sure. indeed. Yeah, it was indeed their first Premier League title. Congratulations <laughs> to them. <laughs> <laughs> that's great so uh, given that this is a, a saints fans podcast and i might get lynched by supporters <laughs> and readers am i gonna have to predict uh a per- i can predict that now a perfect season for saints uh, invincibles of 17 18 <laughs> so the, the trouble is all my friends uh they're, they're very harsh on me because i'm notoriously glass half empty i work on reverse psychology so my prediction for the swansea game just so everyone knows is swansea to win one nil um oh right, that would right. be a really fun <laughs> afternoon wouldn't it um, great so, so where are we gonna finish that one where are we gonna finish this season adam I, I still think Saints are in that group of teams that are um, eight, tenth, uh, eight to twelfth. Sorry, beg your pardon. Um, the top six, uh, I, I think, will, will be the top six as as were last year in some order or another. Um, I don't really see any of those have done anything other than get stronger. Um, certainly, none of them are weaker. So I don't really see any of them having a disastrous season and falling out of the top six. Everton. I'm not convinced totally about Everton and where they are in things because obviously Lukaku going is is so significant when you've got a player that's that good. Mm. Uh, is that important to you? I mean, they have. I, I think Cumin's a great manager. I've got, you know, it's probably agree. not a popular thing to say, but I've got I've got a lot of time for Ronald Cumin. I like him, but um, and I think he's a fantastic football manager, and uh, I think he will over time do a very very good job for Everton. Um, they've obviously he's bought quite a lot it might take a bit of time to settle down so seventh i think they probably are still good for seventh actually i don't think they're going to break the top six this year probably they probably just are going to be a bit stronger than the rest probably but i don't think seventh is completely beyond reproach for those teams that are in that group say grouped to finish between eight and twelfth but i think everton probably will just be a bit too strong and so that leaves Saints between, uh, as I said, in, in that group 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. And I think, uh, personally, I think they'll they'll get in the top half again. I think they're good, they'll be good enough when push comes to shove. I think and the only thing I worry about is with everything that's going on with Van Dyke, where they're not feeling, as we've discussed, like the squad's completely settled because they don't know exactly what's going on with Van Dyke. If that sort of seeps into a bit of a slow start, um, given the fixtures they've got at the beginning, maybe that that could hurt them. But assuming that that doesn't happen, I, I yeah, I mean, I'm loath to put an exact number on it, but I, I think top half is sort of mid-table, just to, just into the top half is a reasonable expectation. I think absolutely. Well, I think we'd happily all take that right now. 
Well, what, what do you reckon? Okay, you have to stick your neck out as well, surely. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a little bit more pessimistic. Um, I, I worry. I still worry about the goals. You know, I, I think you look at Gabbiadini, you look at Austin. You know, you then got Shane Long and, and things like that. I mean, I, I still think the goal scoring is is our Achilles heel, really. And yes, I, yes, I, think, uh, I would agree with that. And, and I yes. just worry that we're going to score enough goals this season to win games to push us up the league. Um, I, you know, I, I guess as a Saints fan of 30 years, you know, I always look at 17th first. That's what what you always tend to do. And uh, whenever the fixtures come out, you tend to look at the running before you look at the start, which is, is a mindset that we all need to get out of, or certainly I do. But I think that generally, I, I think we will be sort of probably top of the bottom half, 12, 12th to 14th, something like that. I think personally, mm-hmm. um, if we can score more goals, then absolutely we can push, push on. I think Europe, you know, the amount of money clubs have spent to try and... For me, I, I totally agree with you on Everton. I think they spent a lot of money to pretty much secure seventh. Um, mm. you know, and, I, and I think that is, is, is still a, a, a big jump from where we are now. So I think my view is 12th to 14th, anything around that, you know, I, I think would be OK for his first season and then we can push on from there. Well, I hope everyone's um, enjoyed the first episode. Um, lots of interesting chat. Obviously, we won't be talking about Virgil van Dijk hopefully uh, every week. So, you know, there will be a lot more content to come across the course of the season. Adam, hopefully, as I say, will be able to join us every week, which will be great to get that view. Um, in terms of Adam, we are going to be doing an Ask Adam um, section of, of the, the podcast every week. So I'll, I'll be putting out information on Twitter and on Facebook to, to get people to send in questions. Obviously, I appreciate that Adam, uh, you know, in his position can't give away a lot of sensitive information but certainly can ask questions about some of the players and uh, you know the, the difficult managers worked with and what you know what his view is on the club and where it's going and that sort of thing so we'll certainly be doing that as I mentioned right at the start you can find us on facebook.com slash total saints pod you can also find us on twitter at total saints pod Adam thanks a lot for, for joining us so far um, please feel free to provide feedback to us what we can improve on whether we talk too much whether there's anything we haven't covered that we should do um, but as I say hopefully it's something that has been a good listen certainly something that I'm keen to do and as I say Adam I hope, hope you've enjoyed it and thanks for joining us the first time yeah it's been good I've really enjoyed it Ben yeah it's been good thanks mate fantastic well we'll speak next week fingers crossed for the Swansea game um, in the meantime you've been listening to the Total Saints podcast thanks and uh, keep marching in And there it is, that's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van, unstoppable. Just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl... Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.